Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. My name is Margot Landman, and I am Deputy Vice President for Programs at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. I'm pleased to introduce our guests for today's interview about China's Belt and Road Initiative, otherwise known as BRI. Minye is Associate Professor of International Relations at the Pardee School of Global Studies at Boston University. Her research lies in the nexus between domestic and global politics and the intersection of economics and security in Asia. Moderating the interview will be Kadzung, Distinguished Professor of Political Science and Director of International and Global Studies at the University of Arkansas. Her research focuses on China's role in the global economy, in particular Chinese trade policy, China's behavior in the World Trade Organization, and China-related trade dispute dynamics. Both Min and Ka are fellows in the committee's public intellectuals program. Ka, the floor is yours. Thank you, Margot, for an introduction. Um, Min, it's very, very nice to have you with us here today. And uh, we'll be talking about your book, The Belt Road and Beyond, State, a State Mobilized Globalization in China, uh, 20, 2008 to 2018, which was published by Cambridge University Press um, in, 2020, in 2020. So it's been, it's been 10 years since the initial development of China's Belt and Road Initiative, uh, an ambitious infrastructure development and investment project. Um, in the book, you have talked about both the internal drivers and external drivers of China's BRI policy. And in terms of the internal drivers, you framed, the you framed it in terms of the crisis faced by the Chinese state in terms of both the, the Chinese leadership in, both, in terms of both the state and the economy. Um, and so I wonder, uh, to what extent do you think these drivers uh, of the BRI policy has changed since its inception? And to what extent, and how do these internal drivers compare to foreign policy considerations such as increasing China's role in global economic governance and enhancing China's influence in uh, international relations in the global stage? Thank you, Pa. And uh, uh, first, I want to thank the National Committee uh, for this invitation and Margot in particular. And the book actually would not be written if, if not for the committee. Uh, I uh, was uh, on the public intellectual uh, fellows trip in Chongqing, Chengdu area, uh, just right at the beginning of the BRI. And, and, and that, that was really central to my uh, interest and persistence in researching on the BRI uh, in the last uh, 10, 10 plus years. Um, I, I, I actually feel uh, the BRI's uh, motivations, uh, internal dynamics uh, are very consistent. The methods, tactics, messaging, the effects uh, have 
evolved, changed in the last 10 years, but the, 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 the driver is, uh, is relatively consistent. So in fact, BRI will turn 10 only next year. Right? So it's launched, uh, it was launched in late 2013. Uh, but I think the 2012 marker is really uh, important. That's a year that the President Xi uh, uh, became the top leader. And that was a year that all the Chinese pressure or crisis in its regional economic um, uh, security and diplomatic relationship surfaced to challenge this new leadership. Right? Um, and so, so this year, 10 years after, she has uh, been in power for a whole decade. And I'm sure there will be a lot of BRI 10 years anniversary events to come next year. Uh, uh, but, but what do we do today? Uh, will have a relevance to those um, uh, happening in 2013. Um, uh, so I, I want to underscore that is the, the, the BRI's uh, initial motivation was to address uh, China's uh, strategic uh, conflict in the maritime China, uh, maritime Asia, and uh, it's a very troubled relationship with its uh, Asian neighbors and uh, about all, the U.S. Uh, at the time proposed a Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, and in 2012, the TPP was very successful, uh, and it created such a strong pressure on, uh, on China. And, and unlike today's IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, TPP had a very high uh, standards, binding institutions, uh, and uh, uh, market access, and China was excluded from that. So, so the, the book really uh, underscored this, this background uh, story. And I, I think it's very important as we look at or reflect on uh, BRI's 10 years uh, marker, uh, then the, what was China like? Uh, 10 years ago, before the launch of BRI, and what is China today uh, after um, nine plus nine years of BRI implementation or the whole decade of foreign policy under Xi? Um, and uh, of course, foreign policy is a bigger subject than, than BRI. Uh, and today, we'll focus on the BRI. And as, as, as that, I think the, the, the conditions driving BRI's launch and uh, actors that shape its implementation and in general, uh, positive outcomes are more than the backlash and, uh, and, and failings. Uh, again, the, uh, all policies right, have, uh, have, have weaknesses and strengths, uh, but overall, uh, BRI at 10 uh, is more successful than failing. Right, thank you. And so you've already talked about some of the um, the challenges and the positive developments under the BRI. You mentioned that there's more success than failures. And I wonder if you could uh, elaborate a little bit more on that, because yeah. the 10th anniversary of the BRI uh, presents a good opportunity for us to take stock of uh, some of these recent developments. So exactly what you consider to be some of the positive developments or achievements under the BRI 
and what are some of the ongoing challenges? For example, um, how have recent developments in countries like Russia or Sri Lanka, um, you know, to, to what extent do these developments present challenges to the implementation of the BRI projects? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the, there are uh, the evidence uh, for showcasing uh, BRI's uh, success uh, is, uh, uh, is clear. Uh, but of course, the criticism ha also has a lot of evidence to back it up, right? Uh, 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 a lot of people point to uh, China's aggressive rhetoric uh, in the so-called wolf of warrior diplomacy. And people also talk, uh, point to these failed loans or infrastructure such as Sri Lanka and uh, or the fallout of China-Russia alliance relationship, which is connected with China's last 10 years of um, when strategy BI is a part of it. Um, so I, I, I don't uh, 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 dispute these specific um, issues and failings, uh, but all of them uh, have, have more complicated drivers and, and motivations uh, than BRI alone. So if we go back to just uh, to look at BRI from China and the world perspective, right? Uh, uh, the first data points that the Chinese uh, always uh, uh, tell its own domestic audience is that China had almost uh, very limited uh, bilateral trade or investment agreements outside the standards regional and global agreements uh, in 2012 before the BII. And then today, um, uh, China already signed, uh, according to the statistics, as, uh, official statistics have 140 countries uh, were signing uh, BRI Memoranda of Understanding, MOU, and uh, 40 uh, and 32 international organizations. Okay? And so if we consider uh, uh, BRI MOU as some kind of transnational bilateral agreements uh, uh, between China and uh, other countries, and that's like huge jump in numbers. And then the, um, the second data point that the Chinese BRI uh, uh, statistics show is uh, uh, trade. You know, so uh, in, in terms of China's overall trade volume and the trade with BRI countries have, have grown very steadily, consistently and about average um, between China and uh, the rest of the world. And investment, I think, is really significant as well. China's outbound investment uh, in 2012, which was already very uh, a big jump compared to before, was about uh, more than 80 billion US dollars in 2012. And the most recent number, 2021, uh, it was uh, more than 220 billion. And so the uh, pretty much the highest in its history. And also uh, China's uh, outbound uh, FDI is ranked the world's number one. Okay? Um, and and uh, so, so the, the BRI, I, I cannot say that BRI caused China to become the world's uh, leading investor, uh, but BRI is this story of China becoming 
the world's leading um, investor. Um, that, but to me, uh, from the domestic politics point of view, I, 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 uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's bigger uh, gain for China is is a, is a domestic. Uh, uh, as I said, uh, in 2012, there are lots of uh, uh, challenges, crises, and uh, those challenges, crises kind of made the Chinese state and educated class and businesses feel um, lost. Right? It, they were very uh, fragmented. They didn't know whether they have the capacity, what they should be dealing with, rising challenges, uh, and uh, and and they 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 lacked a very clear center and 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 a leadership to look up to. So after uh, the the BRI's launch and its implementation in the last um, uh, uh, five ten uh, less than ten years, uh, I think they, they they now have a have a, a very steady uh, platform. Uh, that they can work on uh, and they have a, a direction that they, they can go. Uh, although, yeah, as I said, it, 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 the, the specific methods, style, priorities, and sectorial uh, emphasis, those all have, have, have changed. Um, in my uh, recent work, I, I talk about how BII evolves from being a very ambiguous and uh, ambitious project to a much more uh, articulated and precise uh, foreign policy program. And uh, that's happening, but if that, that's part of the BII story. So, so in, in my opinion, other than those uh, statistics, uh, Treaty that China signed with abroad, um, but it's it more importantly is that like China now have a platform that they can talk to, and this is led by China. So if we think about rising China in that perspective, uh, BRI has accomplished that historical role for the Chinese ruling elites. Great. Um, so in the book, you talked about the BRI as a uh, you know state mobilized the globalization in which the central leadership played a key role in incentivizing the ministries, local governments, and um, the companies to participate in the program. And this this approach seems to have been very successful in providing a locus of coordination for the various stakeholders in the Chinese system, as you just described. Uh, but what are some of the potential pitfalls or unintended consequences of such an approach, if any? Mm -hmm. yeah, so even domestically, uh, the um, uh, the although you, you won't be able to hear uh, criticism of BRI very openly, but there are. So the uh, domestic uh, praises or support for BRI are not universal, and there are lots of people uh, who look at BRI's different aspects and can find uh, shortcomings, right? So the, uh, the, the strengths, um, uh, in my opinion, uh, can also be the source of tension. Uh, one of the strengths of BRI or China's uh, outbound uh, investment project as a whole is a state on the companies and its ability to work with uh, agencies and with local governments and with private sectors as different kinds of um, 
suppliers, right? So if we look at the bigger projects that were done by China abroad, and they have many stages, different uh, sectors involved, and China's state-owned company, they can do that. Right. So when they do a railway, they can add the digital infrastructure, they can add uh, community building, they can get add a Confucius Institute, right? So, so the Chinese, they, they have different um, uh, locus of coordination that makes it effective. But that also makes it uh, um, uh, uh, very vulnerable to charges of transparency and corruption um, and, uh, and accountability because who are involved, to what extent they are involved, they vary by countries, by sectors, by companies, right? Um, and so I think this is uh, the biggest IPE or international political economies uh, crit criticism of China, China's BRI is really the lack of transparency. But um, uh, uh, as, a, as a person who studied the domestic politics of BRI, the, the, the Western idea of transparency is just infeasible, right? Uh, it, it, it cannot be adopted by China. So, so as China is also sending the, the strong message that they want to be more uh, uh, market-based and uh, adopt the mechanism and make it as accountable as possible, right? Uh, but uh, uh, all those messagings, I don't think it's feasible uh, once you enter into actual project level and across different countries. It's also not needed and it will be counterproductive because the Chinese cannot compete with Western investments and multilateral uh, uh, banks loans on transparency. They compete on efficiency and cost uh, and, and the speed. And, and, and once you add the transparency, then the, uh, uh, the, the outcome will be uh, the Chinese strengths would actually be uh, lost. And within China, uh, the criticism also uh, for, for, for scholars who, are, who, are, who, who study diplomatic um, relations and China's uh, uh, public uh, images abroad. Uh, and, and you do see uh, because of the, the, the tension uh, that China gets from uh, launching the BRI. And uh, so the, um, the, the backlash and the criticism, the scrutiny against Chinese capital and Chinese behavior are also much, much salient, right? So people will not look at the, the majority of success, rather the failings will be exaggerated much more. So China's specific uh, relationship do suffer. So for example, I, I think uh, China's um, economic ties with, with Eastern Europe uh, actually um, did not proceed as well because of some of the BRI projects or the messaging that has, 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 hasn't uh, gone well. Um, uh, in short, if we, if we have a, a very good uh, database on projects, we, we perhaps can uh, uh, detect like on, on what conditions uh, that BRI are leading negative outcomes and what uh, situations BRI helping. But if we go, uh, go back to the central question, you know, what's BRI for China over the long term uh, and in the last 10 years, I, I, I think the positive uh, messaging is, uh, is, is more convincing.
and even for, for the world, uh, the, the, the game, the story of winning or the game is more convincing than the, um, than the loss. Thank you. Uh, let's turn on to a slightly different question. Uh, the BRI, to an extent that it's, uh, it represents a, an external extension of the Chinese model of state capitalism, has often been considered as uh, China's challenge to the US-led liberal international economic order. Mm -hmm. So in your view, to what extent can the BRI represent a viable alternative uh, to the Western system? And what should what has the United States and its allies, or what should and can be done by the United States and allies to effectively counter China's rising influence under the BRI? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this really involves our fundamental international relation thinking, right? Uh, are we a zero-sum uh, uh, thinker or a positive-sum uh, thinker? Right? From zero-sum point of view, uh, BRI in various uh, areas, various regions, various sectors um, gained uh, uh, significantly. And uh, if from zero-sum perspective, then China's gain is a West loss. Uh, so, so that's that's why, um, in, in, in general, uh, the U.S. and its allies have been proposing different kinds of uh, initiatives to compete uh, with BI. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I think I think the the more offering from the uh, Western world uh, in infrastructure in global development is excellent. You know, we, we need a more initiative along those lines, like the current administration's global infrastructure initiative, right? 600 billion, I think. Uh, that's, that's really awesome offering to the world, uh, but the effect will be uh, slow to show. But in general, uh, what China offers uh, are not in direct competition with the United States. Uh, the areas that China's BRI gained the most, uh, uh, Africa, the Pacific, and Latin America, uh, these are the areas or countries, regions, and sectors that the Western uh, investments or countries or aid have largely ignored. Right? Um, uh, so, so China is uh, uh, entering in a vacuum uh, and, uh, uh, and filling the gap uh, rather than competing. And in areas that, uh, so I, I say, for example, in Indonesia, South Africa, um, uh, countries, and, and even Eastern Europe, right? Uh, when, when BRI was uh, uh, trying to expand uh, um, uh, influence, then you'll see very significant uh, competition and very viable competition from the existing Western uh, investments and, uh, and and loans, and in these areas, I think the the West actually is winning out, right? So, for example, in South Africa, uh, there's a sustainable green uh, projects. Actually, they already tied uh, with uh, with Western um, uh, loans. So, so they already, in short, I think the the, the U.S., EU, uh, Japan, they had much longer. Uh, presence of technology, network, resources in the in the areas 
and uh, they, they actually are more competitive and more preferred uh, by China's BRI investments. Uh, so, uh, uh, but now, like because of uh, BRI as uh, uh, kind of increasing the pressure, uh, so I, I, I think that that's the motivation for the US, uh, EU, and Japan uh, to do more and uh, they can do more. So the next uh, 10 years, it will be very interesting to see um, the, 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 the both intensified uh, efforts by China and, uh, and the, the, the West, um, whether they will undercut each other, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I think the positive some story will, win out more uh, than the uh, 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 zero sum. Uh, in, in other words, because you have the BRI competition and because you have the, the global infrastructure initiative competition, uh, uh, the, the recipients uh, will gain more. Uh, Indonesia will be a big beneficiary, uh, uh, South Africa, uh, Brazil, right? So these emerging markets can gain significant from the two sets of globalizers and investors. But I also am concerned that neither of them, whether from China or from the West, will touch those really um, the least uh, developing countries. And, and, and so in those uh, places, uh, that uh, that I think um, uh, uh, China, the BRI might be more uh, promising, more willing to go. Uh, that's because China, as as a new power, uh, it has more interest in building uh, footprints around the world. So the the kinds of commercial consideration potential is less salient in specific projects in BRI than the than the U.S. offering. Uh, the global infrastructure investment initiative that the U.S. still tries to get public, um, uh, uh, private, uh, in, uh, so uh, partnership in in this uh, investment, which will make it more sustainable and more commercially viable. But it also will leave out a lot more least developing countries. Will developing countries be forced to choose sides between China and Western countries? I think um, that's very that's very very difficult questions actually. So you we we do see um, these uh, BIMOUs. Uh, so China will try to uh, uh, try to persuade uh, the recipients to sign MOU, and that helps the uh, uh, get um, uh, investments or loans from China. Um, but uh, they are also likely to be this, uh, pressured by the U.S. side, right? Uh, for, for example, um, uh, uh, Eastern European and some of the Aust uh, Australian uh, Pacific nations are under the pressure. And right? so don't sign the MOU versus sign the MOU. Uh, so, so there are certain pressures, but I, um, I, I don't think that will be the main dynamic uh, for, for, for China, uh, other than 
highly strategic foreign policy uh, uh, programs in the BRI, which is not the mainstream. Most of BRI um, projects, I think, is about building uh, connectivities and the market overseas uh, for, um, for Chinese uh, products, technology, and, and services. And so it, it, the, the, the calculation will be based more on commercial uh, the return. Uh, but again, as I said, the Chinese, it's a state capitalism. The commercial calculation can be more diversified long-term uh, than the transactional style of Western investments or the public nature of the multilateral banks loans. So, so China is kind of in between. It's not public. It's not totally transactional private. Um, and then the, on, the, on the other hand, uh, on the US side, unless the field very strategically leaning uh, countries with very strategic assets that can play central part in the US-China competition, most of the countries actually have the autonomy to choose which side to work with. Right? So Indonesia would be uh, an excellent example to show that it's, it's working very, very substantively with, uh, with the China's uh, BRI projects and partnership, but also working very, very effectively with the Japanese, Korean, uh, EU, uh, and, and American. Right? So I, I think that we can find in different regions, there's a more um, uh, effective recipient partners uh, versus uh, the, 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 the few that are, are kind of concerned on one side versus the other. So more recently, the Chinese economy has under, uh, come under increasing pressure as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the overall slowdown of the global economy. Uh, do you think that the current downturn in China's economy will make it more difficult for the Chinese leadership to argue for continued large-scale investments in projects outside of the country? Yeah, so I... Uh, uh, that's that's very uh, logical reasoning, uh, and that that would be my um, uh, logic as well. Because BRI or outbound BRI is dependent on domestic resources, right? So when the resources are um, are, are more uh, stretched, less available, uh, then they will be uh, uh, less likely. But the uh, recent pandemic period data show otherwise, right? So the Chinese trade and investments from 2020 to 2021, 2022, the first uh, quarter, second quarter, uh, show that investments and projects in BI has risen. And there, I think maybe it's a sectorial restructuring. Okay, so the uh, platform is already established, uh, but uh, when certain infrastructure cannot be dealt with or invisible, for example, coal power plants will be replaced by clean energy and, uh, um, and some of the um, uh, in, uh, hard infrastructure change to health infrastructure, digital infrastructure, and, and lastly, uh, uh, the change from, from uh, uh, big uh, bilateral uh, areas like Central Europe or uh, uh, Central Asia to a more uh, 
uh, concentrated Southeast Asia uh, angle or specific countries in Africa. Um, so the, the overall uh, amount and significance still stays. Uh, the BRI seems to have deepened the US-China competition in both the geopolitical and economic spheres. Mm -hmm. Do you see any potential for cooperation between the two countries going forward? And can the BRI for a win for China and for the world? Well, I think for uh, for, for for China, uh, the 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 winners, most of the uh, elites, right, uh, including the state-owned companies, big private uh, companies, local governments, and agencies, and scholarly communities, which I consider China's elites, and they are uh, they they are profiting uh, from the BR. And recipients in generally they, they they get infrastructure loans and to what extent they are uh, uh, using those to transform themselves that's a different question as I said BI is not a miracle and they cannot transform places on its own uh, U.S. China competition uh, actually ranges in so many different areas. In my opinion, if their competition can be focused on how to invest abroad, how to build the other global infrastructure, technology, and climate change, green, uh, green energy, that's great. We win for everyone. Uh, the, the problem is the competition is elsewhere, not on the BRI. Thank you so much, Professor Ye, for joining us for this conversation and for sharing this in your insights. I learned a lot. As the BRI enters its second decade, I'm sure that the book will remain highly relevant for our understanding of the challenges and opportunities associated with the project. I highly recommend this book to everybody. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks so much to both of you for sharing your thoughts and insights with us today. I would also like to thank the National Committee staff members behind the scenes who have made today's interview possible. We hope that those who have tuned in found the interview interesting and informative and that you will join us for future National Committee programming. Thanks again and goodbye. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.